Hi, I'm Sarah Brown, and you're listening to ADHD 365. This episode is brought to you by Recoup. Recoup provides an all-natural supplement that gives you a smarter slant on health and may reduce side effects in sick days. Take 25% off their wellness lines with code CHAD, C-H-A-D-D. I'm here today with Joyce Cooper-Khan. Hi, Joyce. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Can you give us a little introduction? Absolutely. Thank you. I am a clinical psychologist and uh, specialize in work with kids with ADHD and executive functioning deficits. A couple of books on helping parents and then on helping teachers to facilitate development of executive functioning in kids and teens. Well, talking about that, it, it, to me, what seems the hardest is intervening with a kid. You know, you get so frustrated, and how do you help parents with the executive functioning challenge? That it is a challenge for parents, and um, there are a variety of reasons, but I think the most important one is that these kids are just not functioning where we think they should be functioning. That's how they earned these diagnoses, uh-huh. and because of that, we look at them and we say, you should be able to do this, and they end up being punished for things that they really can't do, even though age-typical peers can do them. And then as kids move into adolescence, there's not only that challenge, but also the fact that the teens don't necessarily see the wisdom of doing the things we want them to do, Right. and so they will reject our help. So it requires a very uh, gentle and subtle touch, um, firm but gentle, and opportunities for helping kids to think about how they can earn their way out from under your supervision. Uh, Sometimes that's the best motivator as a parent, is that your child works toward getting you off their back. The only thing I can think of is, instead of yelling, I need to breathe. And you also need to be well-educated so that you truly understand the brain basis for the difficulties with executive functioning and so that you understand the way that we help kids to grow and develop, which is not that much different than what we do for any kid learning anything. It's just that it's out of sync with their peers and the demands of the world. So do you mean I take my 10-year-old grocery shopping with me and they're having a meltdown and how would I do that differently? First of all, meltdowns are sort of a specific area of executive functioning. And one of the things about meltdowns is that we often try to get very logical with kids and to explain to them what they're doing wrong and how they need to calm down. And once somebody has already melted down, you need what I call the emergency room approach which is you treat the symptoms, Mm -hmm. and then later, once they have calmed down, you can talk with them about the specifics. But in the moment, the most important thing, sort of like if somebody's having a heart attack, we don't sit down with them at that moment and talk with them about diet and exercise. Right. Right? What we do is we treat the symptoms. So when you treat the symptoms of meltdown, you do two things. When possible, you give a kid time and space to just recollect and for that amygdala to calm down. If you're in a public space, really what you're doing is helping a kid to do things that bring them back from the edge, oxygenating their brain, taking deep breaths, 
going off to a quiet corner. If necessary, you leave the grocery cart right where it is, full, and on the way out, you notify someone that you are not coming back from it, and you take your child by the hand and you walk them outside. So the problems come, I think, when we believe that we can um, discipline the child into calming down at that mm -hmm. moment. Once they have melted down, they're already gone. You can't logic them out of it. You can't, you know, punish them out of it without doing secondary emotional harm to your relationship. What we need to be doing with kids who melt down is we need to teach them in advance what they can do when they are very upset, and we teach them to monitor better. Once they can learn those skills, then we have things that they can call on when they're frazzled right. and they're at their end. Not unlike when we have help a child, for instance, who has not cleaned their room, even though you've told them seven times now that grandma is coming tomorrow and needs to stay in your room, so you know you need to clean it up. And we can either yell at them or we can help them break the task down. We can use uh, small short-term rewards to activate that dopamine system better. And there are steps in the process to teach them how to manage tasks and to work with them on them. We need to avoid our own meltdowns in response to kids' meltdowns. That's the tricky part is how you do that. Isn't it though? <laughs> you know, it's like, can I breathe enough here? Can yes, can I breathe enough? And do I need to walk out of the room for a few minutes? What am I gonna do to help myself here? And also understanding that this child is not able to do this. Why am I expecting this of them? Exactly. You know, our kids with ADHD are generally measured at three to five years delayed in many skills. And so take that extreme. If you take a 10-year-old that's functioning like a five-year-old, they're clearly not going to be meeting developmental expectations, yet in our heads we continue to see the 10-year-old, yeah. right? And we have to shift our expectations in order to be helpful to to meet the child where they are and help them move along in their development. Right. I've seen kids that are, are bigger than the normal kid, and then they're also bigger, but plus they have ADHD. So you really have even more expectations of them Absolutely. when you should be having a lot less. Exactly. It's sort of a double whammy to look older mm -hmm. when you have a delay. How does the executive functioning deficits relate to ADHD symptoms? Well, you know, they there are some people who believe that it is understanding of executive functioning that will help us define ADHD. But what we know is that um, the profile of folks with ADHD generally includes some problems with one or more of the executive functions. That's how I would state it at this point in the literature. Uh -huh. But it is not the case that only folks with ADHD have problems with executive functioning. Uh -huh. So um, it doesn't, right now, at least in our understanding, it certainly doesn't define the whole syndrome, but it's something that is absolutely essential to understanding what our kids are dealing with. What strategies or tools can a parent help the child with at home or at school? Sure. Well, you know, interventions for problems with executive functioning 
always have to have two components. The first component is we have to help the child to be more successful on a daily basis, right? If a kid isn't successful on a daily basis, then you get all sorts of secondary problems, as is the case for anyone who is continually demoralized. We get more anxiety, we get more depression. That's a great risk for kids with uh, executive functioning problems. We also have to help them to build the skills they need over the long term. So we always have to make sure our interventions have both a short-term and a long-term component to them. So any time a child is having difficulty, what we want to do is go back to what that difficulty is. And I don't mean difficulty in the abstract. I mean, if we look at their daily life, where are they getting hung up? What is it that they're having trouble with? So for instance, so often the complaint is my kid never turns in their homework. He's a smart kid, but he's getting zeros. Now think about all the different ways kids can not turn in their homework. You can have some kids who never write it down. You can have some kids who write it down but never look at their agenda book. You can have some kids who write it down, know what's in their agenda book, but have better things to do and are, you know, truthfully just trying to avoid the task. Right. There are some kids who are perfectionists and they do the homework. They don't think it's done all that well and they won't turn it in because it's not perfect, right? They don't want to get lower than a perfect grade and they don't see the logic behind some grade is better than a zero. We have to figure out where in the chain of behaviors that leads to success, where is the broken link or links, and then the interventions are very practical. We want to teach kids to compensate for those problems that are getting in the way and they need tools and strategies. The short term may be helping them by changing the task a bit. So for instance, we can have a school task that is multi-step and we may break that down into, you know, subtasks that they have to follow a schedule and turn in every day or whenever highlights are due. And in that way, we, we take a long-term task, but we essentially make short-term rewards and we use our monitoring since the child's self-monitoring isn't operating very well. Right. So that's just one, one example of how we could do that. We right. could take that same task and we could build in components that will teach longer term management by helping the child create a template for that. Maybe create the list of subtasks with them, have them map that into their agenda book. We have to be careful that we pay attention to due dates as in D-O not just mm -hmm. when the project is due. And then, so we're teaching them a strategy for managing a long-term project, as well as helping with the interventions on a daily basis. So how old can you start that process? As soon as the child is ready for it, that's when, and it's different for different kids. So, yeah. But what we do um, suggest is if at any point, you can start, for instance, with the homework time. So the first step in homework time is not working on any particular task. The first step is always helping a child to look at all of their assignments, estimate how long it's going to take to do each one, plan out when they're going to do them, what time, plan out a break if they need a break mm -hmm. in it, and then think about is there anything that's not due tomorrow 
that you need to be working on. So did you have a project you've broken down into daily tasks? Is there one of those that's mm-hmm. on your agenda for today? When kids are younger, they don't have a lot of longer term tasks because right. it, it's just not appropriate for their stage of development yet. So, But we still can start by having a set routine for homework and by helping the child, again, think about the tasks, think about how long it's going to take, think about what time they're going to do it. Are you going to take a break first and start at, you know, 4.30? Mm-hmm. Or do you work better if you just walk right in the house, get your homework done, and then go off to play? We can really start the components of these things very early in kids' school lives. Oh, that, that would be wonderful so they get that into a habit. You said the magic word, habit. What we know is that once something becomes a habit or a routine, it no longer lives in the parts of the brain responsible for executive functioning. Ah. So it is the miracle of, of the brain is that it can create habits and routines. We are not sure how long it takes to create a habit or routine. And we know that it is uh, it requires daily practice. So we do have to prompt things until they become a habit or routine. We have to prompt it longer than we, we might want to. Right. And we don't even know how long it will take. We keep doing it until the child starts initiating it on their own or until they say, stop reminding me. <laughs> and you say, all right, I'll give you a trial period. Let's try this for a week. If you can get it done without my reminding you, you've earned me getting off your back, right? It, this is kind of an off-the-cuff question, but are there some executive functioning skills that are easier to change into a habit than others or easier for a parent to work on with their child? For me... Planning and organizing is the easiest one because to me, I, I because I do that well. Right. I just have been blessed with the good fortune of uh, good executive functions. Mm-hmm. Probably work better than I play. For me, working on this is not so difficult. That's not to say that it's not frustrating, but I think for any parent, it depends on whatever you're good at. It's easier to think about how you go about it and teach a child. Helping a kid with emotional control. If you are easily aroused Mm -hmm. by other people's strong emotions so that you then tend to react strongly, that's going to be hard for you to do. And it's going to take a lot of teaching yourself how to calm down Uh in order to do your job as a parent, Right. right? So for some people, the cognitive skills are the hardest to teach, planning and organizing and task monitoring and, you know, keeping track of daily demands and then initiating the task, getting it underway. For people who have problems with those things themselves, they're sometimes really clueless about how you teach kids. There is fortunately a lot of information available on how you can break these down for Uh kids. It sounds to me like you mean if you're good at it, teach it. If you're good at it, teach it. If you're not good at it, do your best to get better at it Mm -hmm. and enlist other people. Mm -hmm. Whenever you can find someone who is good at it, Enlist, enlist them if you can. We farm out these skills to teachers, to tutors, to other family members. There are even peer mentoring programs. If it's hard for you and you really can't do it, mm-hmm. then you need to be getting help from other folks who will guide you on those sorts of things. And obviously, that's a lot of what mental health professionals, coaches, right. you know, all do is help people figure out 
how to do what they need to do for their kids. Right. But how can parents help their children build better executive skills? The understanding that we don't know exactly what the ceiling is for any individual about how far they're going to be able to go with this. But we just have to operate as if all of our kids will be able to learn these things and that the combination of the brain maturation with systematic input will allow them to have good enough skills to operate in the world. Mm -hmm. That concept of good enough is important. They don't have to be great at it. They have to be good enough that they can do the things that they want in the world. And we have to understand that their timeline may be different from their siblings right. or your neighbor's kids. Right. right. With that understanding, I think parents really need to educate themselves on the step-by-step planning that you do in order to help a kid. And again, I'd say that information is out there online. It's in books. Um, There are a lot of ways to get the information these days. Do you think it's different for teachers helping students? It's the exact same process. The problem is that teachers have so many kids in the classroom and so many demands on them. Mm -hmm. Parents do too, but teachers... Um, who can diversify the instruction in their classroom will do the best. So teachers who naturally see the ways that they can take a particular task and adapt it so that you can fill in the gaps and bridge that developmental delay for some kids Mm -hmm. is really important. And um, some teachers do this really, really well. Other teachers struggle and um, again, you know, some of it is knowledge and acceptance, but a lot of it is that we put so many demands on teachers these days. Yeah. That said, for most of our kids, not 100%, but for most of our kids, even small interventions will make a huge difference. Okay, so checking a child's agenda with them until they get in the habit of writing, reading what's actually in the boxes rather than just checking off that they have filled in their agenda mm-hmm. is huge. And you can make this a classroom-wide intervention by having kids pair up and each one checks the other one's agenda book before the end of the day. Mm-hmm. There are That's ways cool. to make it less stressful for the teacher that just involve uh, tweaking uh-huh. what they're already doing. Right. Wow. That Those are great. Do you have any other tips you'd like to talk about? You know, and this one's not specific to executive functioning, but for so many years, when we first started thinking and talking about executive functioning in the ADHD world, we were so excited to learn about this new thing that we were very focused on the skills Mm -hmm. and what we need to develop the skills. I think in addition to that, what we're coming back around to is that attitude really matters and kids respond to relationships Mm -hmm. so the most important thing for intervening for executive skills is the same as intervening for almost anything with a kid who needs help and that is first you have to build a relationship with them they have to feel like you like them and you care about them because this stuff is hard 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 for them right and we will 
put out more for those people who we think care about us, are forgiving of our missteps, and will help us to get to the next stage. Kids really, in my experience, they really do care about doing well. And so if you can side with that piece with them and even collaborate with them on what kinds of solutions do you think would work for you here, you are halfway there. Yeah, that sounds great. Necessary, not quite sufficient. On top of that, you need to be systematic about how you're intervening for the specific deficits. Well, thanks for sharing, Joyce. Oh, it's nice to talk with you. This episode was brought to you by Recoup. Recoup provides an all-natural supplement system that gives you a smarter slant on health and may reduce side effects and sick days. Made with natural ingredients that are vegetarian and gluten-free, you can learn more at GetRecoup.com. Recoup is offering a 25% discount on their natural wellness lines with code CHAD. Find out more at GetRecoup.com. And remember, always consult with your doctor before taking any supplements. Thank you for listening to another episode of ADHD 365. Stay up to date on the latest ADHD information by connecting to Chad's social media page at chad.org social.